This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's Rico Daily. I'm Adam Clark Estes. Earlier this month, President Biden laid out a vision for making the internet a less terrible place. But the approach might mean that lawmakers end up repeating certain mistakes they've been making for decades. Recode Sarah Morrison is here to explain. So at the State of the Union address, he mentioned, I think maybe for the first time, It's time to strengthen privacy protections. So like a ban on targeted ads, a ban on collecting the personal data that feeds those targeted ads. He sort of called out social media platforms for running a national experiment on their users. And we must hold social media platforms accountable. Okay, so far so good, though I'm sensing a a but is coming. Yeah, he demanded all of these things, but only as they apply to children. So adults, apparently no privacy protections. Well, it's hard to argue against protecting kids, I guess. Can you explain why that's a problem? I mean, we know social media can be bad for kids. Why wouldn't we want to focus on protecting them first? So, I mean, you can see why children are particularly vulnerable to some of the worst parts of social media and might need some additional protections from it. But people of all ages use the Internet. I would argue they also need privacy and a real ownership of their data. And there's also like a real danger and a tradition of lawmakers getting like tunnel vision with consumer internet related legislation. You know, they sort of focus on children and harm to children. And that becomes like the catalyst for these laws or it's the end result or both. And so then we end up passing laws that are ill-considered or they're short-sighted and, you know, in some cases unconstitutional. It sounds like this sort of thing has happened in the past. Uh, Yeah, more than once. And it really starts with one of the first laws for consumer Internet. Uh, In the mid-90s, the Communications Decency Act made it illegal to knowingly send or show porn on the Internet to anyone under the age of 18. And obviously, the motivation for that was lawmakers were very worried that children had easy access to a lot of porn on the Internet. Almost all of that law ends up being struck down for being unconstitutional and a violation of free speech. One part remained and still remains, which is called Section 230, which actually kind of has nothing to do with porn at all. Can you remind us what it does? It says, among other things, that Internet platforms can't be held civilly liable for content that their users post, but they're also allowed to moderate it as they see fit. And that's why websites are allowed to host content that comes from their users, you know, YouTube, Facebook, Yelp reviews, comment sections of news sites. And so that's basically what makes the Internet that we have today possible. Right. Okay. so we had the Communications Decency Act in the mid 90s and there were flaws in that legislation. What came next? In 1998, we get the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act or COPPA. And that gives kids under 13 actual privacy protections. It's limits on, you know, collecting and retaining their data, or you have to get their parents' consent to do so. 
That's why you'll maybe notice a lot of sites will ask for people's ages before they sign up and say, if you're under 13, you can't use them at all. And then also COPPA or you know, laws like that, they can potentially introduce even more privacy issues. Like what? When you have to verify people's ages in order to use a site, depending on what that verification process is, you could be asking people to show their passports or their driver's licenses or something like that, which means, you know, obviously you have sites collecting a lot of data from those things and people having to give up a lot of their personal information or use them. Or you can do what a lot of sites in the United States do right now, which is they just ask people to self-attest to their ages. And then, you know, a lot of kids lie. So either you're not really verifying these things at all, or you're verifying them in a way that's, you know, invasive. This seems a little bit unbelievable that social media sites can just trust kids to say they're telling the truth and the government's not going to you know, go back and check that there really aren't people under 13 on these sites. Is that true? I mean, there are cases where they've said, you know, you didn't do a good enough job of making sure that people under 13 weren't using your platform. I know it was recently Weight Watchers app got in trouble because it wasn't supposed to be used for people under 13, but they found that people would say they were over 13 and then change their age once they got in there. They were like, you guys should have been noticing that and paying attention. So it's not entirely like lawless, but I would think there's a lot of people under 13 who are using these apps without their parents' permission or knowledge. So is there anything these apps are doing to better verify age in the U.S.? Yes. So if Facebook, for instance, has reason to suspect that you're lying about your age, they will then ask you to upload proof that you are, you know, 13 or over. So they want to make sure that they can show the government or anybody, you know, who investigates them. Yes, we do have some things in place to make sure we're complying with the law. Well, it seems like we have a, a few different problems here. We have the problem that Congress passed internet protection laws in the 90s. They turned out to be largely unconstitutional. And then we had a problem where we don't really know who's a kid on the internet because they can just lie about their age. And it seems like if these laws actually made the internet safe for kids, we wouldn't even be talking about this right now. Yeah, I mean, obviously this is still a big problem and it's one that, again, lawmakers are trying to solve in ways or with laws that can maybe do more harm than good. And you know, there's a fairly recent example in 2018, the Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act and the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act, which is best known as like FOSTA-SESTA, was passed. And this would remove Section 230's protections from sites that were seen to promote child sex trafficking and allowing victims to then sue those sites, which, you know, that seems like a good thing. I think very, very few people want there to be child sex trafficking on the internet and want there to be a way to stop it. But we didn't really see that happen or see those benefits. What we have seen is some harms, like sites that promoted anything that could be construed as promoting sex work just went offline. Sites like Craigslist removed their entire personal section, you know, just to be super safe. So people who used Craigslist personals were suddenly deprived of that service. And more importantly, a lot of sex workers that use some of these sites to more safely do their work, those sites were removed and they had to maybe go back to more dangerous ways of doing this. So, you know, more unintended consequences for a law that was supposed to help kids. Well, that was 2018. What Internet laws are being discussed today and how are lawmakers trying to learn from the mistakes of the past? 
Well, right now we have like two big ones. There's the Kids Online Safety Act, and that would require social media platforms to include more tools to quote unquote protect kids who are 16 or younger. They can't like amplify content that might be harmful. They let parents control their kids' use of those platforms. A lot of that was promoted by revelations that Facebook knew that its platforms were harming teenagers, like their self-esteem or promoting content that was harmful and not doing anything about it. And then there's the Earn It Act, which would force platforms to follow like a set of best practices that would be determined by some group if they wanted to keep their Section 230 protections, which all of them do. Otherwise, they'd get sued kind of out of existence. You know, there are fears that these best practices would include getting rid of encryption. And that would make everything any user does or any conversation they say on any of these platforms visible to someone. You know, they say that's a way to find and fight child sexual abuse material or child pornography. But you can see how there are a lot of valid uses for encryption services and a lot of things you want to hide from other people for, again, legal and valid reasons. And those would all go away, too. Both of those bills are, are bipartisan. Earn It Act actually almost made it to a Senate vote in the last session. Are they learning from their mistakes of the past? You know, I don't really think so, judging by these two bills. All right. Well, this is all really complicated. And this legislation is still like just trying to protect kids and not everybody else. So why hasn't Congress considered doing it differently, expanding its scope? Why continue to focus on internet privacy for kids when we've seen these laws fail or go wrong time after time? I mean, it has. There have been efforts and bills introduced that would apply the privacy protections to everybody. They haven't gone anywhere. The one that was focused on kids, you know, very much did. I think some lawmakers legitimately want to protect children from the scary internet, and their hearts are probably in the right place. I also think it's much easier to get support for a bill and get a bill passed that says it's about protecting children from like sexual abuse. So a simpler way of saying that is that lawmakers in Congress, Republicans and Democrats can't agree on anything, but they can agree on protecting kids, even if their agreement on a solution isn't a helpful one. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. There was one expert in my article who said a point that I think is very good and that I hope uh, more of Congress would, would listen to, which is, the best way to protect children online is to protect everybody. All right, Sarah, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Today's episode was produced by Taylor Macon and engineered by Melissa Ponce from Hemlock Creek Productions. I'm Adam Clark Estes. Thanks for listening.